Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations that demystify, destigmatize, and desensitize what goes on both inside the therapy room and in daily life. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Logan. And we are seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. Every week, we sit down for soul-provoking conversations with fellow seekers, thought leaders, change makers, and even real people during live coaching sessions as they navigate the hard work it takes to be a human. This is Cheaper Than Therapy. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. We are so grateful that you're here with us today. We really mean it. And we're very excited for today's guest. It's somebody that Danae and I have been a fan of for a while. Um, you know, you just follow those people on social media, I think, that just, I don't know, light you up, light the space up. I'm, I'm just, I've always gravitated towards her and I was really grateful that we had her on. So today we're talking to Yasmin Cheyenne, a self-healing advocate and author whose first book, The Sugar Jar, Create Boundaries, Embrace Self-Healing and Enjoy the Sweet Things in Life is available for pre-order and releases December 27th. I, I can honestly say um, in talking to her, I was more excited about getting someone's book than I've been in a really long time. Yeah. I love the way that she is just, I mean, she's so grounded and real and passionate about making all of the things that we talk about all the time really accessible to everyone. This mm -hmm. idea that um, we can support people in understanding how to advocate for themselves and be their own healer. And I just, I really, I just, I loved how real she was. I just so transparent, so vulnerable and just like a really beautiful soul. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I struggle a lot sometimes. I mean, you know this, and I've, I've talked about this in the podcast before, um, feeling a lot like the healing modalities, even if we're just talking about therapy, you know, it's really mm. inaccessible to many, many, many people. Right. Mm -hmm. And we know that the system in a lot of ways is structured that way on purpose. Right. I mm. mean, this is what keeps people down and what lifts only a certain population up. And I love connecting with people who it's like one of their life's missions to cross that boundary, right? To bring this work to people of color, people of different socioeconomic statuses, people, you know, people again, that wouldn't maybe normally have access or, or their stigma, right? In their yes. community and attempting to cross that line and break down those barriers. And I just appreciate her so much because she does it so eloquently. And so yeah, grounded, like you said. So before we get into the conversation, just a little reminder to please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Give us a rating, a five-star review, and share the podcast with your friends because word of mouth is still the best way for us to help the podcast grow and get the word out. And if you're still interested, we have a few spots left in our upcoming intensive from self-abandonment to inner belonging. It's going to be in Carefree, Arizona, January 1st through the 6th, and we would love to have you join us. Um, we have a couple spaces left. If you're still thinking about it, just head to the link in either Vanessa or I's bio on our Instagram. Yeah. All right, y'all. Here's Yasmin. Everybody, we're so excited today. We're so excited today. Um, actually, somebody who I've been following for a really long time, um, and we have had a little bit of a, a snafu trying to get on. We were just laughing about it. We're all mamas, and we were actually supposed to talk last week. And you know, like we were saying, the trifecta of RSV and flu—is it flu? Is it RSV? Is it COVID? What yeah. is it? Right. Um, <laughs> and not only do you have a new book 
but you've been an extraordinary presence online for me for a while. We were just laughing about our connection with Melissa Wood Tepperberg as well. Um, but you know, we start off usually in this podcast because we're curious about the background. We always want to know, like, how did you become who you are, right? What was your trajectory to kind of get to this place that you're at right now on your journey? Oh my gosh. I'm trying to figure that out myself. No. <laughs> I, um, you know, I was, I was born in Brooklyn. I was raised in New York and mm -hmm. I think I always had this idea that I was going to be doing something of service to folks. I didn't know what it was going to be. Like mm -hmm. if you asked me at 12, I would have said, I want to be a lawyer. That's literally, mm -hmm. literally what was in my yearbook. But, um, I ended up joining the military at 19, joined the air force and I was in JAG. So I did get to live out my you know, legal dreams. Mm -hmm. Um, but during that time I worked as a victim advocate, um, supporting victims of domestic violence and crime. And that was when I really was like this area, this supporting people through trauma, supporting people through really hard times, um, being able to hear their stories and then somehow being able to go back to my life and live my life. I knew that that was something that was a gift of mine because is some of the hardest work I've ever done. Um, mm -hmm. And it also introduced me to my own wellness and healing journey because you can't carry that. I mean, well, you can, but I knew that I didn't want to carry the stories and the the pain and the burdens that I had been hearing when supporting other people through their, their stuff. And so I started going to therapy and I was like, wow, this is wonderful. And also it felt like home like mm. holding space, um, felt, felt like home. And yeah, so that kind of introduced me to the world of woo and, <laughs> um, you know, getting my own coaching cert and then eventually developing my own way of teaching because I felt like there were things that were missing for the people that I was working with one-on-one -on -one and my clients. Um, and that's what's so beautiful. I think about this because we get to just change it a bit to meet our community's needs. Mm -hmm. Um, that was a long answer, but that's genuinely how I feel I've come to be teaching and doing the work that I'm doing today. Can you go a little bit more into when you say that you felt like there was something missing? Are you able to kind of articulate that? Like, what do you feel like was missing for you when you well, were the in first that coaching thing role? was black people, right? Yep. So, um, there wasn't a lot of black or brown folks that I was seeing in major spaces. Like I was going on retreats, I was going to workshops and I was like one of one. Mm -hmm. So that was an issue. Um, and then two, I also felt like culturally for people who couldn't necessarily do the $7,000 retreat or society, you know, socially speaking, who couldn't do the 7,000 retreat, who wasn't able to sign up for the $4,000 coaching program. Like what happens to them? If you can't yeah. afford therapy every other week, who's there for you? And so that's where self-healing really became incredibly important to me. It didn't mean that this is what you do in lieu of therapy. I completely suggest doing it with therapy, but not everyone can do that. Mm -hmm. So then how can we work on ourselves and begin to impact our lives in ways that feels doable and actionable, but not overwhelming? And yeah, that was really what I felt like when I was doing my own journey. Like, what do I do after I get out of this therapy session? Like the rest of this week, I know we had the conversation about what happened last week, but what do I do when the tough conversation comes up? And that, that kind of became my focus point, giving you the language to be able to have those tough conversations in real life and create that change in real life. Mm. 
Ugh, Yasmin, there's so many layers <laughs> to what you just said that I love. I feel like one of the things that I certainly see in Black communities that I'm constantly having conversations with family members and just like I feel across the board is there is still so much stigma around therapy. It's still like, mm -hmm. you know, like I constantly, my family will say things sort of tongue in cheek about me dealing with crazy people. And I'm like, eh! Oh, yeah, no, it's not crazy people. Like, first of all, let's not call people crazy, but also mm -hmm. therapy is not something that anyone needs. Therapy is something I believe everyone deserves, but mm -hmm. how do we sort of, um, you know, as you were speaking to look at it through the lens of this is how we care for ourselves well and how, um, we become the advocates for our own healing process because all of us have experienced things that we need to peel back the layers of what there is to be healed. So I love that. And I guess what I'm wondering is you're, um, talking about the communities that you used to work with, what were some of the common themes or, you know, things that you saw come up that you, you felt called to, to make a shift around I'm articulating. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, I would say the person that usually I end up working with is a person, let's say they're, let's say they're a person of color or a black person. Um, they've already probably heard the rhetoric about having to work 10 times harder. Mm -hmm. So they're already probably programmed to being overachievers so that you can just show up in the room. Right. Mm -hmm. But let's say you're not a person of color. You're not a black person. You're a woman you still have that same kind of ingrained inside of you. So that's usually the first part. Um, lots of recovering perfectionists people and recovering people pleasers. Um, mm -hmm. And then they usually come to me with, I would, I hope that this will help me be more efficient in my work, or I hope this will help me be more efficient mm -hmm. at home. Mm -hmm. It's still from the place of how can you fix me so that I can do better mm -hmm. versus how can I unload this societal idea that something is wrong with me yes. and learn how to prioritize myself so I'm not so drained and overwhelmed? So I feel like that's often my work, working them down from the idea that there's something to change that's wrong with them and reprogramming them with, there's nothing wrong with me. I've just been fed this BS that I believe. Mm -hmm. that I'm now working and learning to unload. Ugh. I just felt that in my body mm. as you spoke those words. I think there's such an unspoken, I think <clears throat> a lot of my healing was around like putting down perfectionism and there's mm -hmm. these unspoken ideas around what it means to be a model minority and, mm -hmm. you know, things that I grew up with, like in order to just like belong in the room, you need to show up. 10 steps above what everyone is expecting from you as a baseline. You're sort of mm -hmm. making up for whatever the stereotypes or ideologies are about who you are as you walk in the room. And I think what you said is so important because um, there's just such a fundamental wounding of not enough that it feels mm -hmm. like a lot of times we're compensating for, and that isn't just um, minorities, but no. absolutely with, with women as well, with, um, sort of any othered marginalized community. community. Yeah, yeah. Marginalized community. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's just such a, like, these are like the unspoken layers of mental health that we don't speak to what that does to us on a soul level to sort of like arrive in the room already feeling like we're making up for something or that we're not enough. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're right when you were saying earlier that it's still so stigmatized. I think mm -hmm. that 
all of us are collectively just trying to survive um, mm-hmm. and don't really make space to deal with often, whoa, last month was wild. Mm-hmm. You know, we're just like, next Keep week going. will be better. Next <laughs> week will be better. Next week will be better. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, like next week is going to, life is going to life every week. So mm-hmm. when are we taking the time to really take care of ourselves? And I always tell people, you know, just like I wouldn't try to do a dental cleaning on my own, right? I, I'm going to go to the dentist and let them do that. It's, that's the same thing that we need to be doing for our mental health. And mm-hmm. we, I'm a recovering perfectionist myself. So I definitely understand the mind frame of not only do I need to be perfect in life, but I need to be perfect in healing. So if I'm going to say I'm going to do healing, I'm going to mm-hmm. do this right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to create a checklist. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do all the things. And it's unlearning that and recognizing that it's just showing up in each moment. Mm. It's not, yes, journaling is wonderful. If you journal, great. If you meditate every day, wonderful. That's not necessarily when I feel like we use our healing tools. Our healing tools really become important when you get a random text from someone projecting their ish on you. (laughs) And now you have an opportunity to either people please, curse them out, (laughs) or shut down or the 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 one that I hope that we all choose, but we don't because we're human. We we have you know ups and downs, but we deal with it. Yeah, we do the work, mm-hmm. and that that's what we're we're trying to do. Yes, calm your nervous system. Yes, do the meditations. Yes, do all the things. Move your body, eat well, whatever that means for you. But those those are the moments where we're giving to ourselves. When life shows up, that's mm-hmm. what we're doing the work for. Well, it's the relational work, right? I mean, mm-hmm. all of this stuff that we're doing, it's like we're learning and that's great. And we're expanding our toolkit and our toolbox and that's wonderful. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're not putting it into practice in your relationships because we're relational yeah. creatures, right? Um, I mean, it's like uh, Ram Das used to say, right? Like if you think you're enlightened, spend a weekend with your family. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. you could do all this work, but if you're not out there in the world living it and putting it into practice, what does it actually mean? Right. And that's not to belittle or again, to mean like that practice, it's, it's important work, it's but, beautiful and perfect. Yeah. But, but how is it actually serving you out there in the world, in your community, in your family, right at your workplace, wherever that might be. Um, and ultimately I think that is taking away or, or rather deconstructing this idea that therapy or healing modalities are all about making us more efficient, more productive, mm-hmm. you know, quote unquote, better workers, better at this, better at that, because it's not actually mm-hmm. about that. It's about showing up and feeling connected to other people. It's the, it's the collective, right? It's like, how yeah. are we taking this work into the collective and healing ourselves in community, in collective with everyone, right? It's not about productivity. It's about collective no. healing. Yes. And not, you know, if, if you're not doing the work to be in community, then I'm yeah. not sure, you know, that's the question I always ask. Like when people hear self-healing, they're like, but isn't it selfish or isn't it self-absorbed? Yeah. No, I, I'm a better human in my community mm-hmm. when I take care of myself. So it's hard for me to be vulnerable if I think I have to be perfect. It's hard for me right. to show up for people if I think I have to be perfect. When I put those things down, now I'm able to show up in community and support people in my humanness and their humanness. And I think it's also important too to name that when it comes to collective healing that just because we've learned a new term, it doesn't mean that we're now in charge mm. of collective healing yes. <laughs> um, 
or we are now the leader of our community's collective healing. Not everybody wants to come with us. Mm -hmm. Not everybody is interested in this journey. Mm -hmm. And I love to allow people to run their own lives. That's how I have space for my own. And so as much as we might think, oh, they would be so much better if they read this book or if they, you know, started this practice, we can be there for them. We can support them. We can share with them but not taking it on. And I think that sometimes happens too when we bring ourselves back into the community, especially if you're in a community of folks who haven't chose the work yet, which a lot of us are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could just be your family community. Like, <laughs> I think for a like, lot of people. You know, yes, the people at home. Yeah. <laughs> That's like yeah. that funny meme, right? Where it's like so, uh, something like, I'm in therapy for all the people who aren't in therapy. Yeah. Like, you know? Oh my gosh. <laughs> if that's not the truth, I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I I was just listening to something on, you know, prioritizing safety over love mm. that what you just said really reminded mm. me of. And that a lot of times, you know, we feel like we can see so clearly where someone should be in the trajectory of their journey and on their path. But a lot of times, I think the more loving act is to sort of say, I don't need you to be anything other than where you are in this moment. Now I can decide how I'm going to be in relationship with you based on where you are in this moment. But I think to your point, so often the healing of codependency is around, I don't need this person to change in order for me to be okay. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that's, um, I think that's the point that we often miss is that like, we're still attempting to control and regulate how we feel inside when it's like, no, if you could just get where I am and where I believe that you need to be. Yeah. Well, and I yeah, think I also think to layer oh, on that, Danae is sorry. Sorry. Yasmin, is like, no, no, it's, it's, it's that component, but it's also really important for us to have that kind of that harsh dose of reality. When we realize I'm hiding behind this other person, right? Mm -hmm. So like my healing, my growth, whatever words you want to use can only go so far. And the fact that I'm saying, oh, I wish this person were further along in their journey, or I wish they were this, or I wish they were that, or they would be better if all of that is just a way for me to actually hide from continuing to go deeper in my own work. And I think so many people have a hard time wrapping their mind around that because they Mm -hmm. think that it's caring for the other person. And so when you really get into it and you start to say, but it's actually not about the other person, Mm -hmm. right? It's about you. That's a hard pill, I think, for a lot of people to swallow. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Yasmin. No, no. I think this is scary. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we're trying to control people because we don't feel safe. We're trying to control what they do because we don't, they don't feel safe. Right. It's incredibly brave to say, you know, I love my mom or I love my dad, or I love my husband, or my partner, or my best friend, or my sister. Um, And the relationship that I hope that we could always have can't take place if they don't do this work, and they're not choosing it. Mm -hmm. So the grief that comes with that, the pain that Mm -hmm. comes with that, the letting go that comes with that, who the hell wants to do that? You know, that's Mm -hmm. why we're running from it, because it feels easier to hold on to it than to let it go. But the truth is, once we let it go, we get an opportunity to love them as they are and also set boundaries from the place that they are in. Because when we hold on to the hope of who they could be, we're literally making decisions based on what we hope might happen or who they could be versus who they actually are. And that's why we're consistently disappointed. Our Mm -hmm. expectations are based on who they could be, not who they are. We're consistently caught off guard with their behavior because we had one conversation and we think now that they're 
going to be completely changed when the, none of their actions have shown that they're actually committed to mm -hmm. what you think is best for them. Mm -hmm. And so if we spent the amount of time we spend trying to fix other people on loving and supporting ourselves, I mean, our lives would be so much different and we're waiting for people to give us the things that some of us deserve. I mean, when we're talking about our parents, you know, or, you know, we deserve to have safe, loving relationships with people. And also just because they are our parent or our partner or our sister or whoever, it doesn't mean that they have the capacity to give us what we want. And so that is what we have to reckon with. And that is, that is the hardest work I think that many of us are doing in our relationships, learning mm -hmm. how to create safe environments for people that do not feel safe for us, mm -hmm. but we mm -hmm. love them anyway. God, something you just said really like clicked something for me, Yasmin. I think if we think about how off or how difficult it is for us to implement lasting change within ourselves, I think we really take yeah. for granted like how hard that is for those around us. And I think, you know, when we talk about boundaries, I'm often saying boundaries aren't about you changing or controlling another person. They're about you looking at the relationship eyes wide open, sort mm -hmm. of deciding for yourself how you are going to be in relationship with this person if nothing changes, right? Um, and it's so often, I think the suffering within us comes from, no, I need this person to see me and change mm -hmm. and be who I feel like I need them to be in order for me to be safe around them. But most of us struggle so much to take personal responsibility and change within ourselves. So it's a little bit, I don't know, short-sighted, I guess, for us to feel like it's just like, like you said, we're going to have a human. conversation and they're yeah. going to just like get it and be there. I mean, mm. yeah, that really, really good point. that's yeah. helpful. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think no, that's helpful right. for people to understand. So thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, I think it's human too. You know, I, I always say boundaries aren't ultimatums. Oh God, mm. you know, they're, they're opportunities for people to show mm. up for us. So. Mm -hmm. But the human part, you know, <laughs> that's that's the reckoning that we're we're always confronted with um, yeah. in this work. I that. um I recently was talking to somebody about the idea of having secure attachments in chosen relationships, right? And mm -hmm. how this is what it's reminding me. What you guys are talking about is this idea too that I think so many times we are attempting to fix or change or, you know, the, the relationships that are essentially our primary relationships. So again, if we're talking about our parents or our partner or our sisters or whoever it might be, um, and we could spend a lifetime kind of swirling and attempting to quote unquote fix those relationships. And sometimes we're actually missing out on an opportunity to create and establish and deepen relationships with other people that actually mm. could provide us some secure yeah. base, right? And some opportunities to do this healing work, right? So going back to what we were saying earlier about how it's the relational work, right? You can learn all this stuff, but are you putting it into practice in your relationships? Well, if you, let's say, have a parent who consistently refuses to show up in the way you think they should, right? Or even in the way that you you might deserve, like you said. Um, but you continue to try to put these practices into place with this person over and over and over again. That's not actually helping you on your journey, right? Now, it might mm -hmm. be helping you on a different path, which is like starting to accept this person for who they are, starting yeah. to maybe create boundaries and space for yourself. Like that is one part of it. But if you're really wanting to implement some of these more secure practices and relationships, then maybe some of the work is also putting that effort into 
creating and establishing other relationships, right? And like Danae and I talk about this a lot in terms of our friendship. I have found so much healing in the relationship I have with Danae because I've been able to practice things with her that I've never been able to practice with anybody else, right? So having the hard conversations, like whatever those might be. And the thing is, is that that is my practice, right? I get to have that practice. And so now I'm able to then maybe implement those in my harder relationships because I've been able to do a little bit of the training wheels work with somebody who I trust and is secure. So I think there's that, that component too, right? It's like, we're banging our head into a wall sometimes with the people in our lives Mm -hmm. that we need to really just accept this is where they're at. Um, Mm -hmm. and I need to maybe find other people and put some effort into, into those relationships. Oh my God. That's it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I share, share a version of that all the time. If the people in your community with aren't working out, it's time to, and it's hard because Finding friends as an adult is tough. It's hard. (laughs) I'm never going to sugarcoat it because people Mm -hmm. are like, oh, I just find new people in community. For some people, it's very easy. And for most, it's hard (laughs) because people already feel like they have have their people and they're, you know, less willing to make new friends. And then also, um, when you have, if you have children or if you're at work, like most of us are, Mm -hmm. you don't have the time you had when you were 20 or 15 to be connecting with new people the way that you were. And so I think being honest with yourself too, um, about how you can put yourself in situations like being intentional. I'm going mm-hmm. to go to this yoga class because it, there are people there that might be interested. I'm going to go to this event. Like it does become a part of the work, yes. putting in the time to connect with people, um, with new relationships. And also don't, um, mistake how often people can find relationships on social media. Mm, I found true. wonderful relationships on social media. And I think there's a lot of like, oh, you know, negative connotations with social media. And there are many things that aren't great, but I found wonderful relationships with people who are connected to people that I would have never met yeah, had it same. not been for the gram. Yeah. <laughs> so, same. same. So I mean, that's this podcast for us in so many ways. We get to connect to so many beautiful people because we decided to take this risk and do this thing. Right. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, as we're all sitting here, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to shift gears Absolutely. a little bit because I want to talk more about your book. Right. So do you feel like this was just kind of a culmination of all of the work you've been kind of doing and brewing for the last few years, your life? I mean, what was yeah. kind of the, the birthing of this like for you? Yeah. You know, the sugar jar legitimately started from my own crisis, like not lying. This isn't like a marketing thing. Legitimately in my kitchen with my newborn, I had mm. just went back to work. I was working at um, the Department of Veterans Affairs at the time. Um, so I was working and exhausted and breastfeeding and tired and, um, was doing my business on the side and things were blossoming there. And I was thinking to myself, like I was being hard on myself. Why are you stressed? Mm. Work is good. Your baby's fine. Your life's fine. Like, how are you still tired? And I think I started voice noting to myself because that's how I journal sometimes because when you don't have hands, voice noting is wonderful if you haven't tried <laughs> <get> it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I started talking out loud and I literally said, I feel like a jar of sugar mm-hmm. where people are just coming into the kitchen and taking it. And as parents, you probably can also understand that the fear of someone coming into a sh- your kitchen, taking sugar, it's spilling everywhere. It's going to be on the floor for weeks. It's going it, to, it felt like messy. Mm-hmm. And I felt like sugar because it was like, this is the stuff that people want from me, the sweet stuff. They want my time, my energy, my money, 
my resources. They want to pick my brain. And the thing that was missing was a lid. I didn't have my boundaries in place. Now, because at the time I was teaching boundaries, I was like, like, how am I missing this? How am I not... How do I not have a lid on my jar? So there was a ton yeah. of shame and the sugar jar was never supposed to be. This was a private mm-hmm. voice note that I shared. And then for some reason, probably God, the universe, I shared it with someone, which I never do. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you need to write a book about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you need to talk about this. You need to come on my podcast about it. And um, I was like, okay, I'll do it. And I talked about it the one time and I was kind of like, okay, I'm done with that. And I think honestly, I was running and I talk about this in the book. I was running from the idea that who wants to talk about the fact that they were teaching something and it wasn't playing out in their lives. Like this was like the thorn in my recovering perfectionist side, right? Mm. And now it's such a healing experience for me because I hope people see there's no pedestal. There is no perfectionism. There is no arrival. The sugar jar is a reminder to me that I will consistently have to fill myself up. Mm. I'm going to be using my energy, my sugar for things that I'm committed to, for people I love. And I'm going to have to check in and ask myself, do I need to put my lid on? Is this a no? Do I need Mm. to fill myself up? Do I need to stop and pause? And so the sugar jar book is a culmination of stories and events from myself and my community and people I've worked with that really shares the like really tough stuff, like feeling like you don't belong when you're at a party where everyone's fancy and ritzy and you're wearing Zara or going through divorce or all of the things that parenthood brings us Um, through the metaphor of something that I hope becomes an easeful visual to ask yourself, do I have Mm -hmm. a lid on? How is my sugar jar? Mm. I can't wait to read this. I'm <laughs> so excited. That's, Thank you. Oh my gosh. I just, there's a lot of times when you're speaking that I'm having like a visceral response to what you're saying. Oh, um, I love that. Well, not while you're on the podcast. I know that's like ma- managing, but I love, I love that you are connected to it. So thank you. No, oh, thank you. Um, yeah. And I think there is something also in the the physician heal thyself. Mm -hmm. Vanessa and I speak to this a lot, you know, that so much of why I think we attempt to be as transparent as we attempt to be is that I think there's just such a collective, um, how do I speak to this? Like we imagine that someone out there is living their life perfectly or has this all figured out has and the answers. just like breathing <laughs> through. And I think the gift for us as therapists is we sort of understand that that's just an illusion. Nobody does. Everybody is just doing the best they can mm-hmm. to keep their head above water. And, um, you know, we're all just bozos on the bus as Elizabeth Lesser would say, getting <laughs> through this thing called life. But I just, I really love that. And I love, um, I love the metaphor of the sugar jar so much. And Mm. I love you speaking to how difficult it is sometimes as the person who speaks about boundaries to say, I'm really struggling right now with boundaries. That's thank you for that. You're welcome. Yeah, no, I think it's really tough. Um, People put put us on pedestals. I'm not a therapist um, intentionally because I wanted to share stories and I wanted to Mm. connect in a way that thankfully therapists don't do. They show up and just hold space for us. It's beautiful. Again, um, I love therapy, but for the folks who either can't afford it or the folks that even the folks that maybe can't afford it and for some reason think it's not for me, Mm -hmm. um, I think that having 
tools like mine or other folks. There's so many amazing people out here writing and creating things that allow people to, we're all just trying to find the thing that we connect to. Yeah. And, and that's my, my goal. If you found the thing that you connect to, that's actually grounded in reality. Um, it helps you to <laughs> caveat, <laughs> caveat <laughs> and helps you to actually do the work. Yeah. Then beautiful. Um, and I think the sugar jar is one of those things where people are looking for someone who is going to tell their story, but this isn't, um, a memoir. It's the story from the perspective of I'm basically coaching myself throughout this book. This is what mm. I went through. This is what I was thinking at the time. This is what mm. I chose to do at the time. This is what I would tell myself now. Mm. Um, and the truth is, humanly, I can't even say had I had the tools then that I have now that I would choose different. Because when we're in those experiences, it's, again, like we're, we're reminding ourselves that there's no perfectionism is what this book is doing. So if you're a recovering perfectionist, this book is most definitely for you. But let's say you're not. <laughs> if you're someone who is having experiences like breakups, like mm -hmm. parenting, um, I wanted it to be something that was reflective. And, and there's a chapter even in the book um, specifically called Black Healing that just talks about what healing is like from the Black perspective. Um, even something is not really simple, but as simple as finding a therapist that looks like you, if that's something yeah. you want and the, the things that come up and how hard it can be, especially if you live in a place where you know, maybe you're not in a metropolitan city, it could be really tough. Mm -hmm. um, and so how to create your own experience that that isn't really talked about a lot in terms of how to protect yourself from the, the news and social media when the recurring themes and, you know, when something's happening like 2020, um, Black Lives Matter movement, being involved, but not being absorbed and taking care yes. of your own mental health throughout that. Like, I think those are things that so many of us, and you don't have to be black, a person of color or a woman, you, you don't, there's been so much that we've been inundated with lately that mm -hmm. I think we're all learning, how can I protect my energy? Um, and the sugar jar is yourself, that jar is you. We all have different size mm -hmm. jars, different capacities for what we can hold. Some of us have a big, like, I think Oprah size jar where we have mm -hmm. lots of capacity, but you know, personally, Oprah might not feel like she has that kind of jar. I don't know her, but yeah. reminding ourselves of the projections that we put on other people and places and things and the comparison that we have of, well, they, their hair always looks perfect or their skin looks amazing. They must have a perfect life. Like we don't know what they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So how about I just focus on my own jar and ask myself how I can show up for myself? Mm metaphor is like everything I feel like your sugar jar is your magic and your your ways of filling it and protecting it um I wanted to ask you Yasmin you spoke a few times about um access to mm -hmm. mental health and it sounds like you have been working to do some programming or in addition to the resources that your book is going to offer in terms of ways to tackle some of these things that come up. Um, but will you say more about some of the ways that you have been working with marginalized communities or in the past, how you had? Yeah. So, um, one of the things that I've done is I just created my own app, um, mm. that allowed for, so two things. One part of the app is paid, but this part of the app that's free that allows people to get affirmations or access the journal or um, just hear some of the things that maybe you might think that I, I don't know if it's for me. And let's be honest, most of us like to try things on before we buy. Mm -hmm. um, but let's say you can't buy. 
I want people to still have access to that. And through my Instagram feed, I give away so much for free Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. I know there are people who genuinely just can't. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's something that I do. But outside of that, um, I think I do two things. One, when I get, um, when I get asked by nonprofits or different organizations and have opportunities to speak, um, Mm -hmm. I do that because I just remember being young and not having, I had never heard of anxiety um, Mm -hmm. probably until I was in my twenties because no one in my community was talking about that. Like Danae said earlier, that's something that just wouldn't have been talked about at home. Yeah. Um, Nor would therapy or anything like that would have been something that was ever brought up to be discussed about when someone was having mental health concerns. And I'm not even talking about like needing medication or being diagnosed, which is wonderful if you need it, get it, you know, all the things. But also we're just talking about like, I went through a divorce, seeing a therapist would have been looked at like, why? So I think having those conversations out loud. And I think also um, being in spaces where I am the only one, not that I'm saying that that's something that um, is always easy where I'm the, mm-hmm. when I'm the only black person or maybe even the only woman in the room, but reminding, but being someone that gives people who don't look like me access to what I am sharing and speaking about is why mm-hmm. I put a chapter called Black Healing in the book, because my book is for everyone. And also we cannot collectively heal if we're not aware of what everyone around us needs to mm-hmm. collectively heal. And if yes. we're not aware of the language we're using um, that could be harmful. And so I think that's part of my work. And I've had to own that because it's something that can sometimes be uncomfortable. You put yourself mm-hmm. out there for some of the negativity that might come with that. Um, and also, I just think it's so important to mental health to talk about that. I can't not talk about it. Mm. So inspiring. <laughs> yeah, I look at it a little bit almost like a the image that keeps coming up is this idea of like a Trojan horse. Mm. You know, sometimes I, I, I think one of the beautiful things about social media is that it has allowed people who wouldn't otherwise have either had access or even thought that they might want to have access, but something might get served up to them or a friend might be following somebody or whatever. And suddenly Mm -hmm. you're, you know, in a rabbit hole of self-betterment and you're like, Oh, what is this? And (laughs) I, you know, I look at your page a lot of ways like that. I look at my partner, John's page in a lot of ways like that. You know, he's such a, I mean, not only as a person of color, but also as a man, I mean, Mm -hmm. he's, you know, the, the barbells and the motorcycle and the, and a lot of guys will come to him thinking, you know, Mm -hmm. Oh, he's like me. And then suddenly he's talking about, you know, projections and owning your heart. (laughs) And they're like, wait, what, you know, and, um, (laughs) I think that's beautiful. I think actually when you're talking about this idea of like choosing kind of consciously to not be a therapist, you know, you're right. And one of the things that Danae and I have talked at length about is thank God that paradigm is actually shifting. Um, you know, we're not really, not everyone, but it is starting to change. I think especially generationally in the therapist community where we're not looking at therapy as this very like patriarchal way of, I am the knower of it all. And you Mm -hmm. are the student and I will sit and you won't even look at me and I will sit and take notes on you. And I will be a blank slate, right? Like that is not how we heal. We heal in community. We heal knowing your story and connecting with you as another human being and knowing that you're not perfect actually allows Mm -hmm. me to not be perfect, right? Mm -hmm. If I think you've got it all together, I'm never going to be truly honest or vulnerable 
with you about where I'm at. And so yeah. I think that, again, thank God it, it is starting to shift. And I look at people, yes, you might not be a therapist, but I would look at you in the same kind of category and say like, you're part of that paradigm shifting. Mm -hmm. And so for that, I would say, you know, therapist or not, I'm very grateful because we have this social media kind of community out there of people that are, that are changing the way we change. They're, they're changing mm. the way we, we look at healing. Um, and it, it's beautiful. Thank yeah. you for that. Um, and you know, you're, you're right. Um, I think that, I think that a lot of people have therapy hurt. Um, mm -hmm. like, uh, like people say they have church hurt, therapy hurt. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, there's been so many experiences where people have had with a therapist who maybe said something or did something or, um, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, and I'm, and I think that's how coaching got to, yeah. you know, uh, be, become as big as it is. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's wonderful because it's a different perspective. I love both personally yeah, for me, same. like with my clients, um, I don't see clients one-on-one -on -one anymore, but the ones that I still see that I've been seeing for years, I don't see them unless they have a therapist because I can't do what a therapist does. And so I, I, totally understand the distinction and the need, I think, for both, for people who mm -hmm. can. Um, and also, I think for folks who, of course, are listening to this podcast, looking for that professional perspective, um, understanding the difference between the work that you do for yourself, the work that you might do with a coach, the work that you might do with a therapist. I think we all work really well together. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that there are therapists who think coaching is crap. And I know there are coaches who think therapy is, you know, patriarch and all of that. And I think mm -hmm. actually, like you were saying, there's so much that's changing around that conversation. There's so many, um, I mean, I still think when you go to a therapist's office, the space is for you and you shouldn't be like holding space for your therapist or your coach. <laughs> yeah. Um, and knowing that there's a human there mm. is removing the idea that like, I'm going into this and it is clinical. They are professionals. And also, um, you, we go to the doctor, you go yeah. to the dentist, like yeah. removing the idea that because it's about how you feel, um, that, that, that means something's wrong. Like if you have a toothache, you don't, you, you want to figure that out with a professional. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. Like if you have a heartbreak going to someone to help you through that, instead of feeling like you have to do it alone, because my point in mentioning this was, Although we are in collective care and community care, our community and collective are not our therapists or coaches. Yes. We hold space for each other and that's a beautiful thing, but they can't help us work through some of these issues and problems and concerns that come up because they didn't sign up to be our professionals um, in terms of our mental health. Mm -hmm. So acknowledging that like sometimes we think our friends and our family aren't showing up for us the way that we need them to. And they're actually just doing the best they can with the, with the tools they have. Mm -hmm. And you might need someone else to hold space for you, a professional to hold space for you and get that extra support. Well, and also they're not going to, they're not going to kind of, and maybe this is just me as a New Yorker therapist, but they're not going to like kick you in the proverbial butt the way that you probably need someone to <laughs> as well. Like, you know, I mean, it, I don't think that people who love you in the way that your parents and your, you know, your sister and your family, all those people do. I mean, sometimes it's really hard for them to step outside of themselves, right? To see things objectively and to give you a really objective perspective on things, which is why sometimes a coach and, and or a therapist is important because there is a lot mm -hmm. of objectivity there and they might not sugarcoat it for you and they might be really real and it might be shit that you don't want to hear, you know, done in a loving way. And, and in my experience, people that 
are in your circle can't always give that to you. I don't know. Unless they're New Yorkers, because I'm also I was New Yorker. And I, like, we, we go to therapy and coaching so we can get a little bit of the sugar coating <laughs> rather than the butt kicking. Actually, that's fair, because my first <laughs> therapy is... <laughs> My first therapist was the most gentle and loving human ever. And I think actually that's exactly what I needed was like yes, someone to coddle me, me a little too. bit. Oh my God. Okay. Right. Right. I retract that. Because I was literally like, I was like, whose butt am I kicking? I'm like, that's probably what their family would do. I don't know if that's what they need to I said in a loving way. Yeah. In a loving way. That's um, amazing. So when you, you know, with all of our guests, we had people kind of write in and give us different little snippets that we use to kind of do our research before we get on together. And one of the things that stood out to me, uh, there's a section that we ask, you know, what advice would you give people? And you talked about choosing yourself, right? Mm. Um, and it stood out for me particular, in particular because mm. I talk a lot about this concept of choosing yourself and it, it actually showed up in my, my book that I wrote with John. And I, and I want to know, I, I wonder if you can kind of talk about that a little bit more, I guess, as, as a piece of advice, right? This idea of choosing mm. yourself. Yeah. And I talk about this in the book too. Like if there were arcs of the book or of my work in general, choosing yourself would be one of them. Mm -hmm. And for me, huh, it's the toughest part because it's deciding that you are a priority, mm -hmm. that what people in your life, your family, society, culture may think about you is not something that you have to uphold. Mm -hmm. um, it is often lonely because not everybody's always interested in coming with you on the you choosing yourself and prioritizing yourself journey. People lose marriages, relationships, because the hard part is a lot of folks are in relationship with you because you don't choose yourself. Yeah. They are in relationship with you because you don't have boundaries, because you don't um, consider yourself to be a priority. And you've probably learned this because mm -hmm. in your family, in your friendship groups, I mean, Fitting in is something that we're taught in society through all the movies and programming and cartoons from very, very young. And so um, the idea of choosing yourself really is giving yourself a, a moment to ask yourself, what do I need and how am I best going to feel aligned and grounded with the next decision that I make? And it's really pausing. I think we're so programmed to be like, yep, I can do that. Nope, I can't. Like giving yourself a moment to ask. I, I like to give people the language. I'll get back to you tomorrow. Even if you already know that the answer is, oh my God, I can't believe they asked me on a date. Yes. I'd love to give myself a moment and say, I'll get back to you tomorrow so that I can check in with myself and see, is this something that I actually want to do? Not as a, we're not playing a game. This is a manipulation. This is teaching yourself how to check in with yourself so that you can be committing in ways that really feel good. Because here's the thing. We always think if I'm saying yes, and I'm doing things for other people that I'm doing the right thing by being a good friend or being a good partner. No right. one wants you resentfully showing up anymore. Everybody mm -hmm. is tired of you showing up with an attitude because you actually don't want to be here. And I think we think we're doing that from the kindness of our hearts. I could be sleeping, but I'm here for you. No, nobody knows what you need, but you, and yep. nobody's going to advocate for what you need, but you. So it's time to give yourself permission to really do what feels good to you. And you will be amazed. One, the hard part is, yes, you may lose folks. The good thing is you will now have room for the people who are happy that you are choosing you. Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Oh, at the church yes. thing, I met. Yep. <laughs> I know. Oh, God. 
And I always say, I'm wow. like, if I was on the other side of it, I've said this before where I'm like, if I was on the receiving end of that, I'd be like, I don't want that. Like, I don't want you showing <laughs> up with that kind of attitude and that kind of like, yeah. you can keep your resentment to yourself. Like, I don't want that. I would rather you not say yes. I would rather you not be here. I'd rather you not be doing whatever this thing is. Right. Cause ew, I don't want that. And I, no. I think that sometimes when you put yourself in the other person's shoes and you think like, if this person were showing up in that way and they were bringing the attitude and they were bringing the, you know, whatever it might be, that resentment, would you want that? And I would say the majority of us are like, hell no. Absolutely not. And that's the yeah. thing with the sugar jar. People think, you know, when I was sitting at my table and I was thinking, everybody's taking from me their sugar everywhere. Mm -hmm. I thought everybody is so rude. Like I just yeah. had a baby. I just got back to work. No, I did not have boundaries in place. I yeah. did not say no. They were taking what I was allowing them to take. And yes, there are some people who are taking from us. I'm not talking about necessarily like in abusive relationships or in relationships mm -hmm. where there's manipulation or harm and things. I'm talking about relationships where people have said, will you help me move on Friday? And instead of you saying, I actually don't have the time or energy, can I help you unpack two weeks from now? You're saying yes and mm -hmm. resentful and a resentful yes and angry mm -hmm. yes. And we think that the people in our lives don't care about us when genuinely we're the ones saying yes. So mm -hmm. it's, it's time to put that lid on the jar. <laughs> I love that. And I think a lot of times we can get so good at hiding the resentment that mm -hmm. there's this thing of like, you're making it look like it's not heavy. So mm -hmm. people think it's mm, nothing the strong to ones. carry this. The right? strong ones. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, the, the soft life that you desire is going to require you to commit to some new ways of mm -hmm. being and doing. And so, um, it's hard for, for, for us recovering strong folks. I don't know how I've had a penny for every time that I heard you make it look easy. I'd be yeah. a millionaire. I, I think Ooh, same. <laughs> We make it yeah. look easy because we don't know any other way. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, um, but it's no one else's work to help us with that. That's our work. Yeah. Um, just to say, I'm struggling. I need your help. Um, well, and and that's so, trust. And that's right. trust. That's what it's building a community of people around you that you know you can do that with. I'm not saying to do this with your boss yeah. that is mean to everyone. This is about understanding who you can be vulnerable with, who you can trust to show up with, who is going to be genuinely interested in holding space for you, and then recognizing the people who aren't and making decisions about how you show up in those spaces. Yes. Um, not trying to coach or therapy everyone that we're in relationship with who is projecting or negative. And I think that's really important because, oh my gosh, I think that's what everyone's doing with a lot of the, the language we're getting. I'm like, mm -hmm. you saw that gaslighting went up. People mm -hmm. are researching. Number one word. This yeah. year. Oh, and, it's, and I mean, that's like the number one thing I hear people say, oh, that's what he was gaslighting. He was this and girl, he's gaslighting you. And it's like, I'm so thankful we have this language. And also this is <laughs> the language is for us also. to use in our <laughs> own <also>. lives. <laughs> We're not diagnosing folks unless you're yeah. a professional. And that's yeah, true. Not, even, <laughs> even still. still not. not even in your personal still. life at work. You know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. 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 But something you said that I think has also been in Vanessa and I's relationship, really important for me to understand. And I think can be helpful for those I'm seeing in both of you, the strong ones. Um, <laughs> when Vanessa asks for my help, I feel like she trusts me. It mm. makes me feel so, because she never asks for help because she's always got it all. That when she says I could use you, there's something in me that feels like really affirmed and loved mm -hmm. in that. It mm. means that she believes in me, right? And so I think sometimes the strong ones miss 
um, you can actually be doing something for those around you as well by putting down some of what's heavy, right? Like we can, we can share the load a little bit. And I think that's supportive of all of us. I love that. Oh, and when you're a strong one and a New Yorker, it's even worse. Cause we get <laughs> just like, oh, you make it here. You make it anywhere. Sentiment. We mm-hmm. take it to oh, art. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love that putting it down and letting people be it, the vulnerability, Finding people you can be vulnerable with and that you can trust. I think that's just everything. That's why we do this. We, we're, we're taking off these. Um, yes, you allow people in and you could potentially be hurt and disappointed and all of those mm-hmm. things can happen. But, oh, my gosh, it's not even close to as big as how it feels to put down the strong and the perfectionism mm-hmm. and um, the 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 self, the harm and defamation that we put mm-hmm. on ourselves and allowing people to remind us that we're human and we deserve love and care. Mm-hmm. It's you, everything. You use this term soft life. And I just like totally clicked in my head where it was like this idea of creating the soft life that you desire. And I think also, I mean, look, I talk about this. There is a cultural difference, East coast, West coast, mid, you know, Midwest. I mean, we're like 10 countries in one and I'm dating <laughs> a West coaster or, you know, in a partnership with a West coaster and I am an East coaster through and through. And, um, I also think it's not coincidental that in the later part of my life right now, the current part of my life I'm in, I have cultivated relationships with a lot of people who are not from the East coast. And it's not that I don't love all my East coast people. I mean, I am one forever and ever. And also I think I was seeking softness. I think at this turning point in my life and, and now I I realize now I'm bringing more people from all the places back in. But I think there was a time where I was unconsciously, you know, bringing that soft and needing that soft and not really being able to find it where I was and in my family Mm -hmm. of origin and in my even chosen community in New York, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's real, it's a cultural difference. And I, I, I wish for my East coast families, um, to find soft. And I think it's happening now. I think again, it's happening. Yeah. Right. I think it's helped. It's happening, but it's, it's real. I mean, it's, you know, it's cold and it's harsh and it's survival and it's everyone putting (laughs) yourself by your bootstraps, (laughs) you know, it's headphones in, I don't know them, you know, keys in between my fingers kind of shit. Keys in between my fingers. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's a different life. And also it's so interesting because when I go back and I'm always there, but when I go back, I can put on the protection that's needed and then oh, yeah. I can take it off. Yeah. That I didn't have before. Yeah, it was same. always on. Same. And so, yeah, I definitely understand that. And I think also too, just frequenting the West Coast, we, there's, a, there's a bit of a, I would say lightness mm-hmm. to the vibe um, and, and less, you know, oh, you know, let's just meet at three. I know we said one, but it's fine. You know, where New York is like, what? You know, we're so makes me crazy. I'm not going to lie. I still struggle with that. Okay. I'm still like, no, we said one o'clock, damn it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I'm learning like, okay, there's a bit of flow. Like some of it can be, you know, a, a lot for me to learn. And then also I'm like, no, it's the flow. It's the ease yeah. and allowing there to be a change. And um, yeah. It's the lithium yeah, it, in the it, water. That's what I'm realizing. <laughs> It's not, it's just the lithium. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh God. <laughs> I'm sticking wow. to it. Uh, oh my gosh. Well, we should get into our lightning yes. round of questions because we want to really, get your answers. We want to keep yeah. kicking your brain, but we want to be mindful of your time. Yes. So um, our first question, our lightning round, I like lost it, is um, who have been your greatest teachers, mentors, people who have impacted your journey up to this point, whether they're people you know or just their works inspired you? Yeah, I think my biggest, uh, my grandmother, mm-hmm. New Yorker, 
Um, but very soft, the mm. softest person I've ever met, mm. um, Brooklyn, you know, New Yorker. And so I, I, I knew it was possible because I often reflect, I'm like, man, she like lived in Brooklyn for like 70 years. I, it's possible. Um, mm. Jay-Z, mm. Is, I don't know him just to be clear, but, um, he was from Brooklyn. And um, it was what reminded me that the circumstances around me didn't have to be my reality because mm. somebody that was like me made it, not made it in terms of like fame, but made his life what I would imagine he wanted it to be. So, mm. yeah. Love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, okay. So this idea of flow, right? This thing that you could be doing where you like blink your eyes and an entire day goes by. What is that for you? Um, flow is definitely not being hard on myself when things don't go right. Mm -hmm. um, I'm learning how to, okay, that means like last week when we had to reschedule, that would have been a time where I was like, how could you? And I, you know, I still genuinely feel bad, but like I would have really beat myself up about mm -hmm. the lack of professionalism. And mm -hmm. just, I would have gone on and on and on. And I instead decided I'm going to be honest about what happened. I'm going to let them know what's going on. We rescheduled. And then I'm going to remind myself that I didn't do that on purpose. I wasn't trying to be intentionally harmful. And I think that's what flow looks like for me. Like remind the human factor, constantly reminding myself that things are not going to always go right. And things are going to go haywire. And that's what flow is being in the midst of, can I pivot? Or if, when something changes, am I going to fall apart? Mm -hmm. And I think I would have before because I was like, no, I made this schedule and we're sticking to it. And now it's mm -hmm. like, listen, nobody has subscribed to your schedule, but you like, yeah. you have to be willing to bend and move. Life happens. Mm. Yes. I love that. Mm. And what breaks your heart, Yasmin? Um, <laughs> people in the wellness space that are not actually doing it because they want to help people. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have to talk about that, but that's mm -hmm. what breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. People mm -hmm. who are following these people and paying for whatever, and it's not mm -hmm. real. Yeah. 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 That's <laughs> yeah. what I got when you said rooted in reality. I, I, I went there yes. as well. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a struggle for me too. It breaks my heart. Um, and then the last one is what is your favorite food? Oh my God. It's hard. Cause I can't like have gluten or cheese anymore. And I feel like oh, it's no. pizza, gluten. um, but pasta, any kind of yeah. pasta, any kind of yeah. Italian. Yeah. Like a true New Yorker would say. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> Italian. It's not like a yes. food. It's like Italian. <laughs> yes. My husband's Italian too. So it's like, yes, Italian food. <laughs> uh, Love it. Well, Yasmin, I, you're an absolute treasure. I'm so grateful to be for putting me on to you. And I, bottom of my heart, am really excited for this book. Like I, I feel like, um, as I'm listening to you talk about it, I'm not only excited for me to read it, but for people to have access to what you're talking about. Thank you for the way you're showing Thank up you. in the world with just yeah. so much grace and acceptance of your humanity, giving us permission to do the same. It's a gift. Thank you. Yeah. This is one of my most fun podcasts, like no shade to the other podcasts, but this was one of my most fun <laughs> ones. So I'm like, thank you guys. <laughs> Will you tell yeah. us, um, you know, when does the book come out? Where can we find it? Where can people connect with mm -hmm. you? All that jazz. 
Yeah, no, the book is available now. You can pre-order on yasminshyan.com slash books, or you can just Google the Sugar Jar Yasmin Cheyenne and pre-order wherever you'd like to pre-order, maybe an indie store. Um, it'll be shipping to you December 27th. But if you pre-order my website, you get access to a free course and you can start your Sugar Jar journey now. Yay. I love Same. it. Awesome. awesome. All right, Jasmine. Well, we very much appreciate you coming on. And um, maybe next year we can connect after after the book and see kind yes. of where you're at with all the things. Yes. Thank you so much again. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to share it with a friend, subscribe, and give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us more, find us on Instagram at Cheaper Than Therapy, the podcast. Mm-hmm.